Hey everyone, a very special edition of Rulaska Thoughts. I'm here with Garrett Schlichty. This is Rulaska I want everyone to know, we had to do this like a thousand times, because I could not get Garrett's name right. <laughs> and what's funny, I was so worried, about, you would think it would be the last name, but it wasn't the last name, it was the first name, I kept calling you Gary. Honestly, a double double consonant first name can be difficult, so I don't blame you. Did, did people ever call you Gary? Is Gary short for Garrett, the actual name Gary, or is it just short for Gary? I think it's just, I think Gary is just Gary, honestly. I mean, I when I say Garrett to baristas, like, they sometimes still just write Gary, so I feel like it's not that far off. But I love, um, I love that I assumed you knew the history of the name Gary, because your name's Garrett. <laughs> I mean, all genie, you know what I mean? I feel like we should all be aware. But no, I mean, if anyone's going to call me anything short, and it's usually like Gare or Gare, I get Gare Bear a lot, yeah. even from, like, strangers. Mm-hmm. I've, like, known someone for five minutes, and they're calling me Gare Bear, and I'm like, that's what my pop-up calls me, but, like, thank you so much. Um, appreciate that. Do you, I know a guy named Garrett, who's really hot, by the way, who goes by the name Gar sometimes. I'm like, ugh. Has that yeah, that seems like, that's, like, darker than what I would want. <laughs> that's, like, very, like, Game of Thrones, and I'm more yes. of, like, a... Like a Sailor Moon, kind of. But I don't know. If you were Shangela Quifa Watley, you could be, uh, you know, she would call you Gar. She's very Oh, I, she honestly would. This season, she would definitely call me Gar. You know what? Let me ask you. You watch this Game of Thrones? I am, like, a light fan of Game of Thrones. I, like, mainly am only here for Cersei and Daenerys. So, like, any episodes heavily featuring, like, them burning people or, like, riding dragons or, like, having, like incestual sex i'm like here for mm-hmm. um but then i like don't so much care about the rest of the characters but i'm like i'm a casual fan i think i'm somewhere in between like when it's not on the air i, I couldn't tell you the name of any characters but when it's on the air i am a hist i am the historian of westeros i know like uh, lineages houses oh. I've, like, fully Wikipedia'd the whole thing. Like, on a board day at work, I've, like, gotten so deep in a hole. I'm, like, I know, like, the entire Targaryen tree. Uh-huh. I'm ready. I've watched the YouTube videos. But, like, not as much of a fan of the show, but love a good backstory. There's a good uh, podcast, but it's behind a paywall on, uh, I believe it's on Earwolf, that they did. You ever hear of the, you ever hear of the podcast Hardcore History? No. Okay, so, so Hardcore History is a real podcast by a guy uh, named Dan Carlin, and he... Does like he goes deep, deep, deep into big history, usually wars. Like so, but he'll do like like a, a, a one year series on the history of World War One, you know. And they're like oh and each episode is like six hours long, and he has a certain way of talking. It's really kind of annoying, actually. So they did a parody <laughs> <clears throat> at Earwolf called Hardcore Game of Thrones, and they literally did like an eight or nine hour, might even be longer, series where it, they treat. Westeros as if it's like a real place and they do a, a history of it chronologically. Oh my god, I love that. And what's I would good, honestly be very into yeah, that. Yeah, you should you should find it. It's behind a paywall, pay the two dollars or whatever it is to get it. And then um they go from the beak so it, it it's stuff from the books, but they go from 
chronologically, which the books don't do, nor, nor does the show. And so it starts from the very beginning of time in Westeros to – they don't go all the way to the present. They go up to, like, season five. I would okay. Say. Yeah, up to, like, Red Wedding-ish or, like, just after that. And then uh, – and, yeah, it's, it's really, really good. You're like, oh, that's that's interesting. I never knew that. That's wow. Anyway, that, that's not why we're – you see, Garrett, this will often happen <laughs> where I'll just go on these, like, long tangents. But that's not why we're here. Let's actually sort of get it because there's a lot, actually, to talk to you about today because I actually kind of – I don't know how comfortable you are. I kind of want to hear your thoughts on the RuPaul controversy from last week as well. Cause you kind of, oh, for sure. You did touch on that a little bit in your article at the very end. I feel like it was like almost like a. It's almost like you knew, and almost like there was I like. A, I saw. Well, I feel like, and like we can talk about this when it happens. But I feel like RuPaul's always had kind of like a a problematic air around her mm-hmm. that I think ha- because we love her and because she's also like an incredible human who's like broken down so many barriers for so many people yeah. that like, it's kind of, kind of been brushed under the rug a lot. And I think this was this one time where she really put her foot in it. You know what I mean? And there kind of wasn't a way around this situation. Yeah. I think we will have to, cause I have, I have a, I think my view of RuPaul is similar to yours, but has a, a slightly more pejorative sense to it in that I think <laughs> I think RuPaul is like and I think there have been other historical people you could talk about where that they're just complete egomaniacs and they open doors for everybody they're really open them for themselves and we get to, to benefit in the wake of it. And, exactly. And I think that's sort of RuPaul. I think she's just I you know, uh uh I'm on a Sirius XM radio uh, once a week talking about I talk about this show so much Garrett let me tell you and uh, the guy who hosts that show Larry Flick he is a former um, acquaintance of RuPaul and so no, I'll often hear something some sort of insight into that but let's let's get let's get to the, the point of the article which everyone wants to talk about it's a difficult relationship between race and uh, and the drag queens and the fans and 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 all the the weird salads mixed up in there. Because, um, you know, you wrote your article, It episode two had just aired where uh, Thorgy Thor was eliminated. Yes. Well, actually, no, because you ha- you actually referenced the following episode. So I'm assuming you wrote it while the episode Milk got eliminated. But that's not what you were really talking about. Correct. Okay. So so there's been more of – more has happened since then. So let me ask you this first question, actually. It's, it's something I've been mm-hmm. thinking about and chewing on. I feel the show itself, and I, I almost think about the show and the producers as, a, as another character on the show, have been aware of this race problem and sort of tickled it, but didn't really have the courage to go there. Didn't you get that sense that see, this season? Yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, I think it would be ridiculous to assume that like none of the producers are aware of like any thing that's going on outside of the show or that it like if it like some in some way like exists in a vacuum mm-hmm. um and so i feel like they like always kind of like lightly touch on it or like dance around some of like the more problematic aspects of like drag race culture yeah but they really never like do a deep dive which is has been very difficult for the show especially off the air because if you remember and you you do reference um Jasmine Masters and how she was treated, but uh, RuPaul even had to step in at the finale at season seven and be like, "Bitches, please stop!" Like, well, yeah, I mean, she did it at the finale. Ru stepped in on Twitter, you know what I mean, to like try and give her some support. But I think like the really difficult thing is 
RuPaul is like the creator of all of this, mm-hmm. right? Like she is the mother of drag race. Yeah. But she's still not necessarily like the most popular queen on the show, if that makes sense. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at, like, a social media presence and a social media following and, like, who people are talking about and who people are retweeting and all of these kind of things, the younger fans are gravitating towards the queens themselves. You know what I mean? And, like, that makes sense. Like, Kelly Clarkson is the star of American Idol. Like, Ryan Seacrest wasn't the star of American Idol. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I think, like, that is just a really interesting aspect of it where, like, Rue can say, like, no, please don't. Like, you shouldn't do this, but... But they're just going to do it anyway. Right. Yeah, I think that's... You know, I think you're you're bringing up an interesting point. But, you know, I feel like... And this is, again... I, I, I could totally nerd out with you on this topic. So I'm going mm-hmm. to... I'm already, I'm already thinking, like, oh, really? Because I want to say this. But so let me let me dial it back. Why don't we do okay. this? Why don't we go back to the original premise? And then we'll go to, we'll go to all these places, Garrett. I promise. Okay. But... Why don't you, in a nutshell, I'm sure you've done this, explain to our listeners the sort of basic premise of the article you wrote for Slate magazine. Sure. So the basis of the article is just that drag race as a cultural phenomenon has brought drag to a lot of people and has brought multiple facets of drag performance to a lot of people. And then we, as the consumers of that, get to choose, get to pick and choose what we like and we don't like, right? And it's, like, in some ways directed by this cultural narrative, but, and this is, like, a very kind of, like, grandiose thought process, maybe, but we live in a society that devalues pretty regularly the contributions of people of color to mainstream media, even though, in a lot of ways, they are the groundbreakers. Like, they are the people who are creating the culture, but then white people us have a tendency to like grab onto those things and then commodify them to like be what we want and then like claim them as our own. Yeah. Um, and so the premise of the article is basically wanting to draw attention to that fact and say that, you know, we as an audience of drag race have had a tendency for a long time to celebrate um, white Queens and the achievements of white Queens and allow that to dictate the narrative. Well, sometimes um, or re- not sometimes, pretty regularly disregarding a lot of the contributions that queens of color have made to the to the art form of drag mm-hmm. and to what they've contributed um, to the community as a whole. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the you know the examples you use in your article, you were you're speaking directly about the show. You were talking about the difficult relationship with Kennedy and Trixie. I'm not, not Kennedy and Trixie. I'm sorry, Kennedy and Milk. Uh, mm-hmm. in in that moment, which which got paid off later, and let's actually now go back to that and, and, and using the frame of your article here, which is when the queens came back and they had the difficult uh, conversation around the table in the workroom. Mm-hmm. I felt the narrative in the other arguments, whether it be Shangela and Thorgy, whether it be Morgan and Ben, I felt that those through lines were easy to follow. Yes. Whereas I felt with Kennedy and Milk, there was some rigamorous going on, so to speak, <laughs> where a lot of shit was brought up that didn't make it to air. Because what they were talking about made no sense, nor would anybody cry over it. Yeah. I mean, that I, I mean, I feel like Milk didn't have like a lot to cry about necessarily, but did <laughs> cry a lot. So like potentially that really was something she was crying about. But I do definitely think there was like some unaired 
footage left on the cutting room floor that probably had a lot more to do with those tears in this instance. Yeah, whether it be uh, producer involvement or I think, yeah, actually matters of race. Because it's something that they, there is, a, you know, you were speaking about coded language in your article. And I do feel there was sort of coded language there where it wouldn't, but it actually wasn't in that conversation. Oh, no, maybe it wasn't that conversation. Maybe it came up a couple of times, but they would. When Shangela and Kennedy were challenged for who they sent home, it was always to keep your friend. Right. And I felt your friend was code for the other black girls. A thousand percent. I mean, I, in like the entire group of people that I was watching with, everyone was like, like someone like, please translate this like for like everyone, because like, this is like actually what's being said. Which is funny because I think you have to use parlance of the younger generation. You have woke friends because uh, I had this very same conversation uh, on the air with some people and it was pearls were clutched and, you know, arguments were made. And these aren't people who could I would consider racist or have difficult problems, but it made them uncomfortable to think that that might be the case. Well, and this is, and I mean, I think it's like certainly a drag race issue that is like obviously like emblematic of a much larger issue. But the the way that I have thought about it and the way that I think about it with Milk specifically and some of the people who like came to Milk's defense after the article was posted is that like, I think there's like very much like capital R, like aggressive, violent racism, yes. right? But then I think there's, like, a lowercase r racism that, like, it's almost impossible for, like, a white person in America, like myself included, not to have some kind of, like, racist tendencies or, like, this, like, internalized racism that, like, you don't mean to have, mm-hmm. right? But, like, unless you acknowledge that it's there and then, like, work on changing that, it's never really going to go away. You know what I mean? And I think, like, in Milk's case, this was, like, potentially, like, an undercurrent of lower r like lowercase r racism Mm -hmm. where like she just doesn't see the value of that specific style of drag you know what i mean yeah no i know exactly what you mean and i think like that is like the much larger issue is like people really do like get so afraid of the word racism that they like they want to like distance themselves from it so completely which like I I understand on a level, but I'm like, if we always try and keep like the word racism at an arm's length and like, we're never going to actually be able to understand what it is. And then like work to unlearn that. I was, you know, talking about that argument and I was, uh, did you ever see the show? You ever heard of a show called 30 rock Garrett? Yeah. Did you ever see the episode where John Hamm, she's uh, Tina Fey's character is dating John Hamm and she realizes he's stupid and no one's ever told him he's not. And so he goes about the world that was that was what I felt was sort of the nature of milk crying was a hundred percent that he because I feel when you're beautiful and then he's successful and there's a Mark Jacobs model people just weren't calling him out on his shit and I think to hear for the first time that like we're not buying it I think was earth shattering for him oh my god absolutely like um, you know what I mean and I think that goes for anybody and I I feel like one of the things I've had to say so many times since the article has come out is, like, I appreciate Milk. Like, I don't think Milk is a bad person. You know what I mean? Like, I respect Milk's drag. I think Milk does great drag. Like, they're obviously incredibly successful, Mm -hmm. like, in what they're doing. I don't think that can happen if you don't have a certain amount of talent. But I think that it is, like, very short-sighted to 
in no way contribute that to be also being like a pretty white boy. You yeah. know what I mean? No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, going another part of your article, you uh, you know, you draw a comparison to Jasmine Masters and sort of the the paranoid, you know, label she was given as opposed to what Thorgy went through on the show. Wouldn't you also agree sort of like, well, maybe more what Nina Bonina Brown, oh, I'm sorry, you would use Nina Bonina Brown, sorry. Mm-hmm. Nina yes. Bonina Brown and her paranoid label. But I also, I was thinking the same thing with Nina on her season. She was getting a lot of hate. And I was thinking back to Katya in season seven and was expressing much of the same doubts in her confessionals. And there was, I mean, that I, I actually feel, I don't know what your thoughts are. There are certain people who I feel, I've always said this on the show, who are really good at the competition, but not necessarily great at drag. And the and the vice versa is true as well. You know, I think um, Morgan, I think, is a good example of someone who's really great at drag, but maybe not so good at the competition. Okay. A thousand percent. I, yeah, I very much agree with that. And I sort of feel with Katya and Trixie, not that they're not good at drag, but but they're also strangely not good at the... Con- well, Katya was just great television. I think Katya's incredible television. And, like, the reason why I was so scared to have Trixie on All Stars is because, like, she's not good at Jack Race. No. no. You know what I mean? I feel like if this, like, all... Like, there have been, like, brief moments this All Star season where, like, Trixie's, like, shown through in some, like, incredible moments. But, like, by far and away, like, she is not built for Drag Race. And, like, Trixie is my favorite queen you know what mm-hmm. i mean like i am like a 100 certified like trixie stan i've got the pillow i've got the stamp i have the membership card mm-hmm. like i've got two birds you know what i mean i love her but, but in a we- go ahead she's just yeah no but but you, i don't think she's like great no. at drag race in a weird kind of way and this might relate what we talk to you later trixie might be the transformative drag queen uh for drag not necessarily for uh the show but for drag in terms of She's expanding the horizons of what drag can be. Because I think for a while there was drag and then drag race came out and then that became the sole outlet, which I think is part of the problem of the of the of a lot of the anger that comes later with Ruth's comments. And mm-hmm. I think what Trixie and Conti are doing is is they're they don't need the show anymore. Right. And they're proving they... that. Go ahead. No, and I think that I mean that's like such a like valid concerned, I think, for, like, so many queens who don't necessarily want to come back for, like, an all-star season, you know? Because, like, they have success outside of this, so, like, why do they need to come back to the show to continue to do it? Exactly. You're talking about, like, for instance, a good example is, like, Bianca Del Rio. There's been talk of doing an all-winter season, and people like Bianca and Violet have been like, no, it's all right, we're good. (laughs) Because (laughs) why would they come back? What would they possibly get out of coming back? I mean, just, like, only excellent television for the fans, but, like, again, they, like, don't live to, like, serve our needs, which is, like, a very harsh reality we all have to come to terms with. Yeah. Um, Which will, like, always make me sad, but also, yeah, I could never imagine, like, being a Bianca Del Rio and coming back to Drag Race, like, just because. Now, have you been to DragCon ever? Yes, I was just at the New York one. Okay. Uh, I I go to the Los Angeles one because I'm in Los Angeles. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, when I'm there, I've noticed, you know, again, going back to what we're talking about, that, you know, the white queens, like you comment on the on the show you went to go see, was it Work the World you went to, or? Yes. Okay, and there's... Um, a, no, no, sorry, it was um, a drag queen Christmas. Okay, and there was a line around the corner for P- Pearl, and yet uh, Chi-Chi had no one, virtually. Right. right? 
And again, the conversation I was having with those people on the show was when I, when Kennedy was talking, which, when she was expressing how she felt at, during the mirror moments about uh, when she's at meet and greets. I've seen that firsthand. And when I don't know if you saw, did you see that in New York at all? Or um, I think not so much in New York, mm-hmm. or at least not that I saw, just because. I think it, there was such an excitement around having it be the first one in New York City that, like, everyone's lines were, like, three hours long for the most part. Okay. I think there was, like, maybe more so... Uh, it was probably more emblematic of the fact that, like, older seasons of... old Like, queens from older seasons of Drag Race... I don't want to say, like, older queens, because if any of them yeah. would be so mad. But, like, queens from older seasons of Drag Race had, like, shorter lines than queens from current seasons. Okay, so then, you're, so your argument might be that it's just it, it might be older versus younger, it, not in terms of the queens, but in terms of seasons. Because I was noticing, but you know, even so, because I'm trying to think here, I think you're right because everyone that I'm thinking about, well, no, that's not necessarily true because it, it gets difficult because I there's the part of me that wants to shout racism, you know, some sort of on the part of the fans. Which is, but then a lot of times the queens that I'm talking about are messy. So, like, yeah, Tyra had a short line. Uh, uh, but I also think that, like, a lot of Tyra's messiness, like, really is tied back to, like, issues of race. Do you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. that may have been, like, an earlier example of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, she's, like, certainly made, like, her own messy comments talking about suicide and kind of things like that and kind of doubling down on that and not being apologetic in that way. But I also think, like, there was, like, a huge, um, like, racial backlash to her win that just, like, you know, six or or seven years ago, I don't think a lot of people had, like, the language to talk about it. Yeah. um, Or just, like, weren't ready to listen to that kind of conversation. Well, there's an interesting point you make in your article because when you bring this up to people who don't necessarily agree, they always point to the popularity of Latrice Royale. Right. Which, and you can explain it because it's your article, but uh, mm-hmm. Tyra comments on that. What, what does Tyra say? I mean, so Tyra, in an interview on Hey Queen, essentially says, like, people are comfortable with Latrice because Latrice fits a stereotype of, like, black people in America that makes white people comfortable. Like, it's a narrative we've heard before. It's a narrative we've seen before. So she kind of, like, fits this, like, archetype of a mammy. She's, like... Mm-hmm funny she's caring you know she's loving she's nurturing she's there to kind of like build other people up she's like happy and jolly and laughing and you know tyra like is very careful to say because it is true that like latrice isn't trying to be this this is just genuinely who latrice is as a person Mm -hmm. um but that's easy for you know like white america digest like that's palatable for us there's nothing kind of that creates like a cognitive dissonance around the persona of Latrice Royale. So, like, we love her for that. But, you know, one of the things that's always, and you didn't touch on this article, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, one of the things that's made me uncomfortable is there is a sort of quiet complicity, uh, I think, with the people behind Drag Race, is if you ever look at the roster for PEG, which stands for Producer Entertainment Group, which, Mm -hmm. while not World of Wonder specifically, is very closely aligned with World of Wonder, Mm-hmm. A lot of the queens they represent are the young, pretty, white queens. Um, they do get, a, I think, an automatic contract with the winner for a year. Yeah, But then often those those winners leave after the year. I think Bianca left. I think Bob's left. Um, so, But when you look at the roster of people they do choose, it tends to be 
the really popular white queens. And when you see, and that's sort of been the argument, I think I heard Latrice somewhere talking about this, where it's when you see these tours, well, it might have been a RuPaul show, actually. Um, the tours are always like the white queens and the black queens don't, they don't, which, because now what it is, is that's where the queens make the money is on these tours. Yeah, so I actually, I'm like sitting at my computer, so I just pulled up PEG's roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like very, I mean, so Bob is still on the roster right now, but it's the Triple A girls, it's Alaska individually, it's Ben de la Creme, Blair St. Clair, already season 10. Wait, on what? It. You see, girl, wait, stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much into tea you are about the season, but I'm, I mean, like, if we want to like spoiler alert it, but no, no, no. Yeah. There's already the people who buy into this show know that there's like, well, let me give a spoiler. For, maybe there are some people who don't. Spoiler alert: <laughs> She doesn't. Okay, so jump ahead thirty seconds. She doesn't do that well in this season. Correct. Okay, but well, I mean, she's on the roster, and then there's Ivy Winters. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Jinx Monsoon. Kati is there. Uh-huh. Uh, Miss Fame. Oh my God. Pandora Box. Oh my God. Thorgy. Sharon uh-huh. Needles. Violet Chachki. Yeah. Yeah. And so PG's got. I mean, they. I mean, there are a few. Jiggly Caliente's there. Uh-huh. Uh Peppermint is there. So there are queens of color that are represented, but I would say it's definitely by far and away skewed uh, in one specific direction. Well, of course they're not. They're not silly. You know the right. you know, the ones who are really popular. They're going to hang on to. I think BB's also with PEG, correct? Yes. Yeah. And that's that's one of my theories as to why, one, BB's done as well as she has, or skated by, and why she's on this season. I sort of feel like there's a little bit of a... Favoritism. Uh, yes. And then, uh, in terms... Of, but the Blair St. Clair is, a, is very telling to me, because she's a pretty white queen who, again, spoiler alert, it, th- let me tell you that she doesn't win All-Stars... I mean, she doesn't win season 10. I'll tell everyone that. Correct. Yeah. So, and she's already signed. Yeah. And so, and that's the, the, that's actually one of the things that I really liked about season nine is those girls were really smart and they stuck together mm-hmm. and they kind of stood up to that and they, uh, they toured together for the most part and that they made their money that, but they didn't, I don't think they toured with PEG, correct? I think that they toured with another company, maybe like that there's the one with the Murray and Peter, maybe. I think, yeah, they did Murray and Peter presents. Yes. Wow, we're getting real. If you guys aren't nerdy about Drag Race right now, this is very nerdy. Talking about who the touring agents are, and like uh, we have some in-depth knowledge. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, that's when they're making their money. So that's why actually why Latrice had to start her own management company uh, was because these girls weren't getting booked. You know, Kennedy before being booked on All Stars three was on Sirius XM Radio and was literally days away from just quitting drag and becoming an administrative assistant somewhere. I mean, and I just, like, Kennedy, I think, is, like, forever, like, an example of a queen who I just, like, genuinely feel like race and public perception have, like, so impacted her potential for success in, like, so many ways. Because I'm, like, we have her on her season. She won Snatch Game, was absolutely hysterical, Mm -hmm. made it to top four, like, did incredibly well in so many aspects of Drag Race. And then afterwards, there was kind of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And no. again, as like someone who like loves Trixie Mattel now, like Trixie Mattel became Trixie Mattel because like of the money that was funneled into her after Drag Race and the opportunities that were given to her. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I just like I sometimes really do like we see 
you know, like Milt's legendary looks on WoW Presents. And we see, uh, and we see kind of all of these shows and there wasn't necessarily money at least. And I could like very much be wrong based off like a quick thinking over, but like until Bob and around came around, you know what I mean? It didn't even really seem like wow presents put a lot of money behind like giving a non white queen, like a YouTube platform for them to kind of do something. with. Yeah. No, no, no. You're completely 100% right. I mean, what you're saying is, um, BB, not BB, I'm sorry. Kennedy is essentially the embodiment of the phrase, the soft bigotry of low expectations, because she delivers every single time, but yet is the last person picked for the team. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yet Trixie, who we all love Trixie, and she's really good at her show, in terms of the structure and the paradigm that is RuPaul's Drag Race, isn't good at that. You know, um, I was talking, I was. I, on the on the recap show, we were going over uh, the Bitchler, mm-hmm. and you know one of the things you always hear is how Trixie probably should have won that challenge. And one of the arguments that I made, and I know you're a Trixie stan, so we can have this debate. I fight with people all the time. <laughs> is no, she shouldn't have won that challenge, even though she was funny. She shouldn't have won that challenge because she didn't actually match what the challenge required. She wasn't doing improv because improv, I think, would in- involve engaging the other people and she kind of hid behind the phone because Trixie's really good at the one-liners that are sort of pre-written. And yes. so she wasn't I reacting. I agree with that. She wasn't reacting to the scene. She had pre-canned lines that were very funny. You know, she had canned lines that she wanted to deliver and and Milk was preventing her from doing that. And so as while she was very funny, I don't know if she should have won. So, but what I'm saying is there is this high level of expectation from Trixie, maybe because she is sort of a superstar going into this into this competition. But Kennedy, you're right. She delivered the Snatch Game, yet I don't think anyone expected her to deliver in Snatch Game. Even though, did she, how did she do in Snatch Game this season? Oh, she did not do great. I mean, I will be the first to admit. She was Phaedra. Oh, that's right. Um, which, I mean, I think, like, some can be left to editing for everybody. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, I mean, she didn't do incredibly well in that acting challenge, but... She did great on The Bitch. Like, you know what I mean? I think yes. there just is, like, so much evidence of, like, given the proper, like, resources and a little bit of time, like, Kennedy can really do incredible things. Yes. And I just wish that there was more of a support for that. And I think, like, this is also another part of what the article or what my article talks about is that we love when queens of color succeed doing what we expect queens of color to succeed doing. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we love to see like Kennedy lip sync. We love to see her dance and kick and split and like flip onto the box during the challenge. You know what I mean? During the, um, the talent show competition. Uh-huh. But when a queen of color tries to do something that we don't expect, like a Nina Bonina Brown, for instance, or like a Dax exclamation point where like maybe their looks are a little bit, or like a Shea Coulee where it's like more conceptual, it's kind of more fashion oriented or it's more like cosplay oriented, which is something that we typically can associate and contribute to or attribute to white queens. Yeah. It seems like the audience is less receptive to that. And I think that is like what, a a point of my article that I was really trying to drive home is that like, we really like to keep Queens in boxes that make it easy for us as opposed to just saying like drag. So Dita Ritz, I don't, it literally just came out today and I watched it on my lunch break. I watched it today on Hey Queen. You did? Yes. Yes. 
and she touched on that a little bit in the um in look at her mm-hmm. um where she was like talking about how you know she is maybe a little bit more of a fashion girl or wants to be a little bit more of a look queen. And she has said, like, she feels like she can walk out in something that she, like, feels beautiful in, you know? And if a drag queen like Pearl, for instance, was to walk out in the same thing, people would be like, Pearl looks great. She looks stunning. Like, she's absolutely flawless. And Dita said, like, you know, when I walk out, I feel like people are like, your wig is dry. Like, you have ashy knees. Like, this isn't, you know, working for you. Mm -hmm. As if, like, she's not allowed to embody or embrace that side of drag. You're right. I, w- I was talking to a friend about that. We were talking about that video on, on Hey Queen. She's right. She's 100% right. And, and uh, I, I was feeling her. But then I was like, she did have some thirsty wigs sometimes, though. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I mean, a thousand percent. You know what I mean? I think yeah. there's, like, truth to both sides. But I just think there happens to be more truth on like what we are willing to forgive. Yes, no, you're right. Certain you're right. queens for. No, you're right. You know, it's funny is you didn't touch on this at all because and I think it's a whole different universe in terms of race, but something I ranted about last season was the whole Valentina problem. Which I do feel that there was a, a bit of now look, don't get me wrong. Valentina is messy. And maybe messy is not the right word. I don't, I don't think she's a very nice person, okay? Yeah, at DragCon I tried. You know, every queen was so generous with their time at DragCon, and then I tried to interview Valentina, and she had like literally like thugs. And I'm Mexican, so I was like trying to pull the Mexican card, and <laughs> she had like thugs who were like, "Nope, she's doing no interviews," which is she's not. She she doesn't have to do interviews, but it was just it was just sort of the way it was handled. There was a very acting grand kind of thing about it. like she was behind it. No other queen was behind a tent, you know. Though there no, was one other queen behind a tent. No, two. RuPaul, okay, yes, Acid Betty, and Valentina, and it, it, they all make sense. So with Valentina, though, there, I have so much, I mean, I've done two hour long rants about Valentina on on both sides. But one of them being, let me talk about in terms of the show is one of the rumors is they're trying to find another Valentina, and I think what the show has always missed is, and this commits a Mexican American, is they equate all Latinos as the same culture. So they think Puerto Ricans are the same as Cubans and the same as Mexicans. And I think one of the reasons Valentina struck a chord is because she's the first, now look, adores Mexican-American, but she's more American than she is Mexican. And her aesthetic is very just, it might as well be a white girl, you know, with a little bit of a a color, you know? And, Mm -hmm. uh, and there have been other Latino queens, but they, if Violet Chachki, I think is Latino, but you wouldn't know it. And it's like, Valentina was the first one to have a Mexican aesthetic that we've ever seen on the show. And the audiences went crazy, partially because Mexico is sort of like the Hollywood for Latin America. So that's the aesthetic that's seen all across Latin America. And that was the first time they were seeing themselves on the screen. And... I sort of feel that a lot of the backlash towards Valentina was there was a sort of veiled racism behind it. Um, but don't, I think there was a part of it that she was also just an awful person. Um, but but, oh, but I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving these thoughts a thousand times. Everyone listening is like, oh, here he goes again. But I would love your <laughs> thoughts on Valentina. I would love to hear your thoughts on Valentina. Um. So I, I will say. I really did not like Valentina. Mm-hmm. 
But I didn't like Valentina in so much as I am just, like, a big fan of, like, a messy queen. Um, And I think, like, on the show, she had just, like, kind of a very canned personality, if that makes sense. Like, there was, like, a very, like, prim and... Which I think she, like, talked about a little bit afterwards. Like, she was, like, I was, like, more guarded. Like, I did want to, like, come off as maybe, like, a higher version of myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm just, like, a big fan of someone who's going to, like, get their, like, elbows dirty and, like, kind of, you know, like, maybe be a little bit of a bitch. Yeah. Um, but as far as how good she was, she was incredible. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I feel like that, like, can't be discounted. Um, but I think as far as, like, her elimination, or, there have been, like, a couple great articles. There was one on BuzzFeed. Um well, actually, two great articles on BuzzFeed about how, um, like, the port, like the Puerto Rican queen edit mm-hmm. um, and how, like, kind of Latina queens have been treated on the show. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Valentina fell victim to some of that, both in, like, the production of the show and then also from fans. Yeah, but she's one of those people who, again, I have, I have a very complicated relationship with Valentina. I'm not... It's it's weird. It's, I, I could literally argue both sides and different facets of her personality. And I think, you know, I think it was the first two or three episodes, people commented she was in every episode, even though she was on this season. You know, like she was a picture of her on a magazine cover or she was mentioned. So she's she's been this giant presence that's hung over the show. And I think uh, will for a long time if she ever decides to come back. And... I kind of am I'm curious about it as a phenomenon. I don't know if I like yes, her looks were always on point. I agree with everything you were saying. I do think there's a a very very weird fakeness about her. Uh and I don't think she's a nice person. But in terms of who she rep- what she represents to Mexican American kids or th- who don't get to see themselves represent you know there's a podcast about RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know how good it is or not called uh, The Rundown of RuPaul's Drag Race. There's a million of these podcasts. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I like listening, and by the way, they, they have zero innovation in terms of insight. They have nothing new to say. There's nothing you haven't heard on any other show, <laughs> right? But the reason I like listening to it is it's th- uh, two or three Chicano guys who sound like Chicanos talking about RuPaul's Drag Race. And it's so interesting to hear those voices. Because even though I'm Mexican, I realize I sound like every other white guy. You know? So it's it's fascinating to me to hear those voices. And I think it's the same thing with Valentina. While she was bringing the looks and she's messy and I had problems with her, it was fascinating to see that Latin American aesthetic brought to the show. You know, I don't know that much about Mexican American aesthetic, but I would see articles about like a certain dress she wore had the, the, you know, she was obviously paying homage to like these Mexican American movie stars from the thirties. And she had this on and, and it was just like Mexican American Mexicans were going crazy over it. And I'm, I'm wondering why the show hasn't tapped into the Mexican American thing and, and equated Puerto Ricans the same as Mexicans. And I, don't know if you had any I mean, I think because, like, again, like, they, there is, like, a tendency to, for the most part, for, like, the big players on the show, or for, I feel like, who the producers think the big players on the show are going to be, to, to give us 
to give the audience what they think we're going to, like, be most easily receptive to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going to create, like, the least amount of, like, cognitive dissonance for, like, us as a viewer to just kind of be able to sit there and, like, say, like, okay, yes, this makes sense. Like, yes, I enjoy this. Like, yes, I know this to be true. So, like, I can sit and just, like, kind of take in this TV show without having to, like, work too hard. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're dealing with something like queerness, with, like, LGBTQ issues, with you know, kind of everything that, like, all of the girls in the show represent. It, like, it maybe should be a little bit hard to watch the show. Like, there should be something that you're struggling with while you're watching it. Like, there should be that available. Okay, so let's get in. I think this is a great transition. Let's get into it. So last week, RuPaul gave an interview to The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they asked her, you know, I, I'm, I'm very... I, now is where I'm going. I'm going to be parsing my language here. Be very careful. Okay. Is they asked her her opinion on bio queens on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. And RuPaul answered that you know she sees it as a show meant for men who dress as women because you know drag has always been in her words an fu to uh, popular culture. Yes. And, and ideas of gender. And then the interviewer extends that, and oh, please correct me when, I, when I'm wrong here, because I think it's important that you do that, extends mm-hmm. that to then, well, what's your position on trans contestants? You had Peppermint on the show, and she identifies as a woman, so wouldn't you say that a woman's been on the show? And RuPaul answers, well, at that point, she hadn't physically transitioned yet. She didn't get the breast implants until after the show. So, and, and, you know, in, and it wasn't a problem because, you know, getting the physically transitioning brings advantages that the other queens wouldn't have. Okay. Right. And did I get anything wrong there? No, that sounds all correct, at least from my memory. And, and, and have I left anything out or? No, I think that was pretty much, pretty much what went down. Okay. And then, and then people, you know, people were very, very upset and the queens weighed in. But I would love to hear your thoughts on what happened here. Um, I mean, like, I I think a couple of things happened. I think, first of all, as the show has become more popular and as drag has become more popular, it has started to reach out to new audiences and it has started to free up, free people up to be excited about expressing themselves in, like, new and interesting ways. Mm-hmm. In that, I think that, you know, like, uh, several of the queens from the show, I know, like, Detox has talked about it a little bit. I think Manila's talked about it in, like, interviews from DragCon, where they've been asked, you know, like, what do you think of bio queens? And they've said, like, we love them. Like, we're excited about it. Bio queens are great. You know what I mean? And, And I think that I don't think I used to be there five years ago. You know what I mean? I think, like, I had a much more limited understanding of what drag was or what drag could be. And so, you know, I would see, like, a a biological woman saying, like, I'm a drag queen, and, like, something in my brain would go, like, that's incorrect. And I think as I've come to know more about drag and know more about the drag community, that is kind of gone from my mind. And so I think that's one level to it, is, like, the drag is a million different things. And so to try and say that drag is only one thing is incorrect. I think that the second layer to that is like, we should all be under the same understanding that like trans women are women. 
period. You know what I mean? Like that is like, at least for me, like my undeniable truth, like Mm -hmm. trans women are women at the end of the day. And so I think that's like another interesting component to it because like in, in that understanding, Mm -hmm. like in that truth, women have competed on the show. Now, as far as like RuPaul's comments about like breast implants or like any kind of like body uh, augmentation, like if if it's a breastplate or like if it's actual, you know what I mean? Like detox has had like full implants for forever. You know what I mean? Like her, like Ru's tweet about like performance enhancing drugs, like literally crazy because like detox, like pushes like her chest together and she's got like Michelle, Michelle Vachaz like breasts, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's like a very short sighted way of looking at the issue. Um, now I've like semi lost my train of thought. Let me jump in here then. Let me jump in. Okay. Yeah. One, you're right. I, and it's one of these things too, where, you know, one of the arguments people have made is as the show has progressed and evolved, the look segment of the show is has been diminished considerably in its importance in the decision. So it's not like, oh, if you have breasts or you don't have to tuck, like it's not like those are the kind of things that contestants are being judged on anymore anyway. You know, I mean, it's, it's still a component, but I feel the, 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 the runway is now is a much smaller factor in the decision than it used to be. Well, I think it has like a smaller, it, it just has like a different, factor you know what i mean because i think like so much of what we're seeing now like the looks are so much more heightened from mm-hmm. what we were seeing yeah. a few seasons ago mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i think like pants on the runway is totally a thing like you don't have to be tucked necessarily to like so, give a good look okay so let's extend what you said then actually and and what you're i think what you're saying i would agree with is fishiness isn't as big of a deal as it used to be. I feel in the earlier seasons, fishiness was rewarded. And then it's it's sort of now not a big factor. So Correct. Yeah. So whether your your breasts look real or your tuck, you rarely ever hear that anymore as it being talking about people and, and how fishy or how much they look like a woman they are. But here's, here's the thing I've always... That's, and by the way, once again, I will talk for days about what a walking contradiction RuPaul Charles is, okay? But, oh, yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of my favorite topics. But the one thing that's always troubled me about this controversy is is twofold. One, and I, I you know who, it's so funny, and I'm going to try and be really smart about it, but one of the best explanations of my uh, point of view was that Jasmine Masters put out a video about this. Did you watch the Jasmine Masters take on this? Not on the most recent one. Okay. She she took her take on it, but she put it in a very jazz and masters kind of way. But uh, is RuPaul, from what I read, and I've read the article, and I've tried to really read it in any kind of way negative for RuPaul, I feel she was talking about the show specifically, and not necessarily about drag, and all of drag, but at the show. And I think that's, I think one of the problems we're running into is that drag, and you've touched on this, is now experiencing a renaissance where it's actually becoming bigger than the show and the show is now seeming like a relic and i was actually even thinking you know if, if, uh, uh, my cousin called me who's also gay and he was talking about this controversy and he was saying you know would the show still do songs like sitting on a secret 
if they had trans characters on. And you can make the argument, but it is, it's, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, I can already see in 5, 10, 15 years, is this show going to be something that we're embarrassed about in terms of like minstrel shows like Amos and Andy or The Little Rascals? Or things that are sort of awkward and embarrassing, like, ooh, we used to watch that and think that was funny. And I'm, I'm wondering if the show's becoming, if, the, if drag and and with the youth today becoming more and more progressive and more and more welcoming, not in terms of race, but in terms of everything else, uh, is is the show maybe now too small for it? I mean, I think that honestly all depends on where it continues to go and what it continues to do. Because I think, like, I mean, I think what you said is absolutely correct. Like, I think when Rue was making those comments, Rue was probably specifically talking about drag race and not drag as a whole. However, that doesn't doesn't excuse her comments, you know what I mean? Because I Mm -hmm. feel like RuPaul, having spent this much time in the industry, like, should at this point, like, know better or know to say what she means as opposed to, like, having kind of, like, an in-and-out way of saying it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Be- only because, right, like, we can have this conversation because, like, we are, like, pretty fairly engrossed in the LGBTQ community is in that we are a part of it. You know what I mean? So it's, like, yeah. a part of our everyday lives. But for the casual fan of the show or, like, for, you know, like, the straight white girl who's just watching the show who like maybe isn't so like enraptured with the entire narrative that's all they're hearing and so whereas like we maybe have the opportunity to say like well Rue was just talking about drag race and not about drag as a whole I think for some other casual viewers those two things are synonymous that's a very good point you know you know what I mean I think like for like my mom watching the show she doesn't see drag as a community separate from drag race, the show. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where the conversation becomes problematic because then, you know, if you have Tiffany from down the street going to see a drag show and it's, you know, like a a trans queen at the show, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I become concerned about like what they may or may not then be able to like process there. Mm hmm because of a lack of understanding, because they've heard from this, like, quote-unquote leader of our community. Um, so I think that is, those are my feelings on on that component of it, where, mm-hmm. like, I do feel like we can't completely excuse it because, well, we understand Rue may just be talking about Drag Race. I think it being on VH1 now, it having a much larger audience, like, Trixie being in GQ and like Valentina doing like makeup tutorials for Vogue. Like it has become so broad, but it's still tied inherently back to drag race that for a lot of people to talk about drag race right or wrong is to talk about the community of drag as a whole. Well, I think that's one of the problems we run into is that we have a complicated person at the head of it in that, you know, the show has exploded to the point where I think, it's it's such a cultural phenomenon. It wasn't something that she was prepared to take the mantle of, you know? I mean, when it started oh, out, you go ahead. I mean, a thousand percent. I mean, and I think, like, look at, like, America's Next Top Model. You know what I mean? Like, I was, like, a huge America's Next Top Model fan for, like, a very long time when I was, like, 14 years old. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. then, like, just, like, eventually lost track of the show. But then eventually they were, like, 
well, there are no plus size girls on the show. Like you trapped yourself into just like being skinny models and they added plus size girls. And then they were like, okay, we're, you know, like there, but they're also male models and they brought male models onto the show. And like, they have like continued to varying degrees of success to include more diversity in, in terms of the world of modeling in the show to stay current and culturally relevant. And, you know, like that has sometimes been successful and that's sometimes not been successful. Mm-hmm. But I think the main point and the thing that I think they will at least be able to look at back as a, at a as a franchise to say is like, we did listen and like, we did try. I, but then, Which like, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I feel you're, what you're what you're doing is you're comparing Tyra Banks to RuPaul. And I think the difference is, is I think Tyra Banks at least tries, even if it's superficially, to have her ear to the ground. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think RuPaul has her ear to herself. Exactly. And I, I was telling a friend, because when RuPaul apologized, I said, if this happened in September and not a week before season 10 premieres and all series wrapping up, RuPaul wouldn't say shit. Like, RuPaul has, is not sorry she said this. RuPaul really believes this. This is VH1's PR team, 1,000%, to steal a phrase from you, telling RuPaul, you need to go out there, you need to say something, and you need to do this, this, and this, and this. Because- oh, I mean, absolutely. I also, like, I'm, like, now going to say 1,000%, like, 12 more times, because I've already said it 15 <laughs> times. And, like, the, the, 1,000%, like, I think minutes. you should. Literally, it's not. But, like, I think that RuPaul has a history of not apologizing. Yeah. You know, like, when there was, like, that big controversy about she-mail. Yeah. You know, several seasons ago, uh, RuPaul's comments were, like, as far as, like, Logo's concerned, like, I'm still paying the light bill there so i'm gonna yeah. like, do whatever i want and like there was kind of enough force to be like okay we're gonna make this change which like then it just got changed kind of like you know the little catchphrase that it is now mm-hmm. but like rupaul has like historically defended the use of the t-word yeah you know what i mean and has never really apologized for any of those things and so mm-hmm. i was genuinely kind of surprised to see an apology or to hear an apology from rue um but I think your assessment of it is probably the more likely. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, she 100% does not. We're going to get an interview in two years where, where, where we find out that she didn't, she wasn't sorry. And she'll triple down. Oh, like, yeah. She really, I mean, because it, it's one of these things. And look, one day you and I will be old enough to, we will be RuPaul, where she's <laughs> almost 60 years old. Her belief system is solidified. And there's no changing her mind. And then we take on the fact that, you know, you know, it's so funny is she she touts herself as a student of the Course in Miracles. I also see myself as a student of the Course in Miracles, and that's it it's almost like what she's she uses it as this like defense mechanism, and that's really not what the whole course is about. And so I think it's so funny when she you know, one of the phrases she put the next day, she wrote the next day is from the course, and it was like uh the ego speaks first and the ego speaks loudest in terms of as a defense against her critics and i was just like i i think you're looking in a mirror you know 100 1000% she's looking in a mirror and so i think rupaul is a is a difficult person because you know when the show started it was a parody of, of america's next top model and was and just sort of this funny show and logo and then it just sort of got a life of its own you know, a complete and- life of its own. You know what I mean? And I think that is 
It's such a large platform. And I mean, it has so many moving parts at this point when you have over, I mean, what is it now? Like a hundred and however many queens on the show. Mm -hmm. So you have that many viewpoints and that many perspectives and that many people doing their own interviews and doing their own bookings and doing their own like live viewings of drag race at the bar. to like give their commentary. I think there are so many moving pieces Mm -hmm. that it becomes difficult to rein that in, I guess. But I mean, I don't know. I think like, I think some of the queens on the show, I think all of the queens on the show, but, and then a lot of the fans deserve a certain amount of accountability Mm -hmm. from the people who are, who are bringing all of this to the rest of the world. And so, I mean, I think whether it's comments about trans people or whether it is, you know, talking about how, um, like Latino queens are viewed or treated on the show. I think when we talk about how, you know, fans treat queens of color and like what we, I mean, I, I think one example is like, at least from like this, from all stars three that I can give us this, like Aja got completely torn apart and like apparently eliminated because she had like some missed references. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like three episodes before that, Kennedy did like a flawless Janet Jackson impersonation, like a head to toe look (laughs) like directly from a music video. Uh And Carson was like, well, I didn't really get Janet in the makeup and I didn't really get Janet in the hair, you know? So I don't really know what you were doing. And I was like, that's the exact makeup and the exact hair. Like it maybe is not like the Janet Jackson that like most perfectly comes to Carson Kressley's memory, Mm -hmm. but it is like an identical Janet Jackson look from a Janet Jackson music video. So I'm like, you know, I, I have a hard, very specific like standard, but then like sometimes the people who are making those calls, like don't have the breadth of references that some of the Queens do. Mm-hmm. And so, well, look, I mean, I mean, just an episode before Asha had just done a flawless crystal labasia. I mean, you, I mean, it's a, a person who was in three minutes of an obscure documentary about drag Queens. You know, and like an, an incredible impersonation. An incredible impersonation. The next week, like, she, 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 and it, it's not, what's funny is, it's not even that she didn't make a correct reference. It's she didn't say the person's name correctly. Right. Which is like ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, going back to going with the race thing is, I was just talking about this. Mrs. Kasha Davis was sent home because she messed up a word during the Despy Awards. And I was like, I go to this RuPaul's Drag Race finale every season, okay? This RuPaul does so many takes because she she fumbles her words in the cue cards. Like, how is she going to anybody, anybody, because they messed up a word on the Despy Awards? So, I mean, you could do, like, I mean, a whole nother 12 podcasts about incorrect eliminations. Oh, that's our entire show is me talking about conspiracy <laughs> theories and like oh you made the wrong decision. Oh, constantly it's it's always conspiracy theories and the producers did this. Like I was, you know, it, I look I go crazy sometimes. You know, at the season 7 finale, I people listening, they've heard this story so many times, they're so bored of it. But when I went to the season 7 finale, um that you know, they they filmed the multiple endings. 
you know? Yeah. And um, for Ginger and for Pearl, they gave the most half-assed ending, you know, where it was just oh. like, oh, you're the queen. Okay, everyone say love. All right, bye, everyone. Right? And I was like, okay. And then Violet came out, and the, the, the confetti, and the everybody say love. Like, it was, she was super into it. I remember when I went on the show, I was like, listen, there's deep Violet's going to win. There's, no, no, I was, no. I was like, Violet's not going to win. They know that we're going to tweet this. So here's what oh. it's Ginger or Pearl because it was so obviously Violet. There's no way they would be that obvious. They're trying to lay a trap for the people who would spoil. No, meanwhile, it's Violet. And oh that's one God. of the things I've learned is never. It, it, you know, it's so funny on Reddit, I've been downvoted so many times for saying this. Is you, people like me, you, I don't know how deep you get into the Reddit stuff, but. People like me and you, we go into it. And I, I'm on Reddit, like, oh, you know, what I'm in it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I like for instance uh, with Valentina, like everybody on Reddit knew that was happening. And you know, if you think about it, so few people actually go on Reddit, and and they World of Wonder realizes this, and so they 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 make the show for those people. You know, they're not worried about the the spoilers and whatnot. For instance, did you know about this Ben elimination, this eliminate herself? So I'd heard, like, uh, I mean, I heard that, like, a long time ago, mm-hmm. I feel like. And then the day of the show, one of my friends was like, I think I have a spoiler. I don't know if I should tell you or not. And I was like, I love spoilers. I uh, Like, I personally love when things are ruined for me. Mm-hmm. I, like, just generally hate suspense. So, yeah. like before I see, like, a scary movie, I Google, like, exactly how it happens, because then I feel like I can actually watch and enjoy yes, it. I get that. So I heard a different version of the Ben spoiler, which I actually wish would have happened. Well, there's so many different versions. I've probably heard it, but please tell it to us. Um, so I heard a version where it gets down to it, and Ben brings Morgan back, but then Morgan had the opportunity to eliminate, like, one of the remaining queens. Mm-hmm. And she turned around and eliminated Ben. Yes. Because, like, Ben was the strongest competitor. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I wish that was what was going to happen. Because that would have just, like, been the most exciting thing to have happened. I mean, literally all season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. Leading up to... We knew Dela was leaving that episode. But there were just so many rumors about how it was going to happen. That was one of the mm-hmm. rumors. It was, there, was so many, there were so many variations on that rumor. But the truth of the matter is, like... Such a that's I think I did the math for everybody on the show. Like this many people watch the show. Here's how many people are on Reddit. How many people actually go on Reddit regularly? How many people actually do this? Oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it turned out to be like a fraction of one percent, you know. Oh act- yeah. Actually know or care. And then so if you look at on YouTube, there are all these videos of reaction videos of people watching Ben de la Creme get, being eliminated. And like the whole bar is screaming. Oh my god, literally screaming, literally screaming. Literally screaming, and they're floored, you know? And uh, so we can, I can get in these conspiracy... And I love being conspiracy theory about this show. I love this show so fucking much. It's so I mean, funny. Same. Yeah, I like... like I was Whenever I go to the finale, I literally... As much shit as I'll talk to RuPaul, when RuPaul walks out every finale, I cry. <laughs> Every and single time sense. when she walks out, I literally we you know when I was you know I was there last season for when Sasha, mm-hmm. you know th- when I I was there I was you know I would have ten- lost my mind I lost my mind Garrett I lost my 
fucking mind when she took that wig off. I felt, I actually felt what it must be like to be a person who really, really loves sports. Oh my God, a thousand percent. I jumped, I leapt out of my seat and I was pumping my fist and screaming. By the way, I was by myself. Oh, I mean, I I mean, I was screaming in my friend's apartment, like every, I mean, first of all, like all of DC, I feel like all of gay DC erupted in like one giant sound wave. Yeah. It was an incredible moment. I love that show. I love everything about it. And I just, that's what, even this, even we've talked, what's funny is you and I, you and I have talked for, you and I have talked for over an hour. And there are people who are like, I'm telling you, excited to even hear us talking about it. I mean, like, I put out a show for free on iTunes for an hour and a half every week with my partner, Taylor Latte Boy. Mm-hmm. But then for Patreon supporters, put out an extra four to five hours of content a week about one episode. I mean, which is like honestly so. Inc- I mean, it just is like such an incredible phenomenon. Yeah. We do a whole show where people download it and listen and pay for it just about rumors and speculation and tea. That's all it's about. I mean, which is, I mean, that, uh, you know, I mean, and I think that was, I mean, I've been freelance writing for like three years and Mm -hmm. I've written for the advocate and the Washington post um, and for teen Vogue. Mm -hmm. And like this late piece, like blew up more than anything I've ever written. Yeah. And I think so much of that has to do with the drag race fandom, like with what drag race is. I'll tell you what it is, and, and it's probably an element to this. We've get I, I'm, the people, the poor, because you and I are basically having a conversation. The poor people who listen who've heard these stories a thousand times about it, it slowed down a lot more. But uh, you know, in the, in the old days, it was like once a, a week. Now it's about once a month. We would get an email from somebody who would say, and I think this is part of why your article is popular, why part of our podcast is popular. You know, I live in, you know, Tuscaloosa, and I'm I'm not even out. Sometimes they are out, but there's no other gay people in the town, and I'm not even out, and I love this show, and I have no one to talk about this show with. And I yeah. think that's why they're rabid for any sort of content about the show, because it's, I mean, it's it's the ultimate water cooler show. Oh, absolutely. So you and I are lucky enough that we get to either write about it or talk about it. You have friends you can talk about it. But there's a whole world of people who they watch the show and they stand up and cheer because Shangela, I mean, not Shangela, because Sasha lifted her wig and rose petals fell out. Mm-hmm. And there's no one else around. It's it, in a weird kind of way, it, it, it unites all of us. But in a weird kind of way, also, I think, highlights the isolation of some of us. Oh, I think it absolutely, I mean, so much. I also just have to say, like, after I wrote this article, I was, like, very nervous. You were? Because Why? I... Well, just because I was, like, the the people who are doing the things that I'm critiquing in the article are going to, like, find me and, like, come from... You know what I mean? I was, like, I'm going to get, like fully like 90 uh, like uh, just a robot spam account is all of a sudden going to start like yelling at me on twitter so she was like loved looking it. Yeah. at what so many of these queens have gone through yeah like in terms of like racial backlash and like i think in so many ways like the inability of like a largely like white fan base to like comprehend that narrative mm-hmm. was like 
I, I mean, I was just like genuinely like, I don't know like what's going to happen after this is published. And the response was like so overwhelmingly like, this is something that like I have really been thinking, but like I haven't been able to articulate or like, this is something I've wanted to like have a conversation about before. And like, it was just honestly great. I think it speaks to, it speaks to a lot of what you were talking about. Is it like, there are people that are hungry to have so many different conversations about drag race and about what's happening on the show. Um, well, let me ask you this question. You're right. I mean, like mm-hmm. I told you, like, you know, I didn't know what, so usually the Rulaska thoughts that we're doing right now is mm-hmm. usually a deep dive into something that happened on the episode. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our show comes up the same night as the episode. Right. So as a result, you know, there's there could be something that happened on the show, and, and it has been the case this season. There's always something on the show that we just couldn't really get into on the episode. Right. You know, just because either we, it hadn't, we didn't sit with it or for whatever reason. With this episode, there was nothing. Like, we covered yeah. it all. There wasn't really much to this episode. So I was hard-pressed what to write about, and so I did a poll on Patreon. What I thought was weird was I would say, well, do you have any ideas for what – you want me to talk about and a, a, a larger number of responses than you would expect were just said the word BB. And mm-hmm. I don't, I have no idea what that meant. I still to this day <laughs> don't know what they, what they want me to talk about with BB, but uh, there were three or four, you know, five that were, they wanted me to get into the race and the relationship between race and RuPaul's drag race on the show, because I feel it's something that's been on people's minds. You know, I think, Kennedy's mirror moment is the closest I've ever can I remember. Nah, no, I feel see, there wasn't maybe All Stars two kind of touched on it too with Fifi's response, but her mirror moment. But it was the mm-hmm. closest that the show's ever gotten to acknowledging the ugliness of the fandom. Yeah, and I think people are interested in it. And that's something people even listening might not realize, and you and I haven't really touched on is. When a person of color sends a white queen home, the amount of hate that they get, you know, to go back to Valentina, poor Nina Bonina Brown. Oh, my God. So much hate hurled at her, the N-word. And this is a person who's already fragile, because not only did she send home Valentina, didn't she also send home Aja? Yeah. And And she she sent home Aja. Yeah, she sent home Aja, she sent home Valentina, and that's, I feel like there's another person, but maybe that's it. But but those are two white queens that were very popular, or not not black queens, basically. And um, the amount of heat specifically for Valentina was unbelievable, unbelievable. And I do think Valentina was gross for not coming out and saying something. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think that just is like such a. I mean, and that again, I feel like you know there were some folks who had like some very like valid criticisms of my article, and like also just like some general feedback that was like. I, I really only touch on, you know, very specifically the relationship or, like, the the struggles that Black queens have faced on the show. I don't really talk about, like, Latina queens. I don't talk about any of the Asian American queens necessarily. Um, and there are some other great, again, like, articles that have come out of BuzzFeed about um, some of, like, those concerns regarding race. But I also just, like, genuinely feel like there aren't a lot of white people saying, like, hey, white people, like, were being racist. 
Like, that's what this is. Like, this is what this looks like. Like, I'm saying this directly to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, really, I think, what I was wanting so much to come across, and I think that hopefully did with my article, is that, like, the perpetrators of a lot of this behavior are a lot of the white fans who are watching this show who don't understand a lot about what's going on mm-hmm. um, and who don't like call it out or who don't ever attempt to stop it. But you know, it's so funny because again, Bob, I feel I have a, I don't know if I have to have a complicated relationship with Bob as much as like sometimes Bob says things that piss me off, but he did say during this whole RuPaul mess, I thought he said something along the lines and maybe you have the exact quote where I think I should actually directly quote him on it. I can pull it up right away. Oh no, he tweets too much. I can't find it, but where it's something along, I'm paraphrasing big time here, but the gay community is its own worst enemy. And, yeah. I think and, he said like, it's going to eat itself. Yeah. And it's something I've been thinking about for a while. You, you have to understand something. You live in DC, but, um, and I have, I know, I don't know the DC gay community that well, but I do have my own criticisms of it from what I know of it. But, mm-hmm. but the LA gay scene, and particularly West Hollywood gay scene, is the grossest gay scene of all time. I hate it. It's there's no there's no there's no bigger hater of the West Hollywood scene than Joe Batanz. And, <laughs> um, I, I I sort of feel like it. That's the gross capital of gross gay people. Is West Hollywood like mean gays, you know? And I think that's going to be the next big issue for gays is actually having to face itself. Uh, oh, absolutely, one thousand percent. Um, one. I think I was just trying. There's like, uh, so there was this great article that came out of them. Mm-hmm. Um called RuPaul Apologists Are Only Upholding the Patriarchy. Okay. Um, Those who defend RuPaul at the expense of his trans critics are weakening the LGBTQ plus community as a whole, which is, like, a great article. Everyone go read it. It's, like, very thought-provoking, I would say. like, makes a lot of excellent points about it. And I think that there's... There's something to be said on both sides. Like, I, I definitely feel like I understand Bob's point but I also think that, like, if we're expecting other people to be better, then, like, we also have to, like, uphold our community to the same standards to which we expect other people to uphold. Or do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I just said uphold 12 different times. But I feel like there is, there has to be room for criticism which in the within the LGBTQ community. Because if we don't offer that, then how are we supposed to teach other people? You know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for happens. I hope that we evolve. I hope that we're just nicer to each other. I hope we're nicer to each other. I think there's a way for everybody to say love and everyone to say love and still be critical. You know what I mean? I think like I and this is something I put in a different article that I wrote about queer eye, but like I, it's possible to really love something. And, like, still recognize that it's not perfect. You know what I mean? And, like, I really love RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I recognize that it's not perfect. And because I love it so much, I want to talk about the fact that I don't think it's perfect. Because I want it to be as good 
as it can be for as many people as it can be. But do you ever wonder about almost like the woman who, what does that be a woman? The partner who gets the boyfriend or girlfriend, they're like, they just want to change that one thing. And then they change the person finally into something they're not attracted to anymore. That they eventually, uh, that person's, they've changed the person to the point where it's killed what they initially were attracted to. Um, I think like, I think the distinction would be like not changing, but not sanitizing. You know what I mean? I feel like that. I I understand that point, and I like understand that metaphor very perfectly. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if you really had to change it that much, then like it probably shouldn't have been in your life to begin with. You know what I mean? And that's the thing is like, I don't think drag race requires that much change. Well, that's. But I think this is what we're getting, we're getting to this like an hour and twenty five minutes in, but. Yeah, I'm like, I we're going to be, like, six hours. It's tomorrow. Yeah, but what I'm saying, though, is, just to, to play devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. is I think what we're seeing here is a chasm between two very different perspectives of drag, which is uh, RuPaul and her generation of drag who see drag as not necessarily inclusive, but as to, and I hate when she uses this term, because I think it sounds so old person trying to sound young, so fellow kids, but <laughs> punk rock. You know? Yes. But to be a sort of fuck you to the establishment and that it's supposed to be offensive and it's a, you're not supposed to, it's about making you feel uncomfortable. Whereas I feel RuPaul, in a, in a, in a weird kind of way, through her show, has changed the definition to a younger audience of what drag can be, where it is more inclusive and maybe not, and more politically correct, maybe not necessarily so much that. Well, I mean, and I think, like, even to that conversation, I think that, like, again, it should make you uncomfortable, but it shouldn't necessarily make you pained. You know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't necessarily hurt you. Like, I think discomfort is important. I think, like, pain is a different situation. You know what I mean? And I think, Mm -hmm. like, even back to the point of, like, her comments about, like, allowing trans queens on the show, you know, I think there was maybe initially for me, like, a discomfort with, like, peppermint being a trans woman on the show because i'm like wait trans women are women like women being on the show women in drag like what does that mean how you know like that was like an uncomfortable spot for me to be in and for me to work through Mm -hmm. but like that but like me coming out on the other side of this conversation i feel like is bringing me closer to the place where like i should be in my understanding of the world but you know whereas like the other side of that is saying like no you don't belong here and like that is like that causes pain. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that is the difference. I think where it gets difficult because, and this is something I, I've said this line before in terms of when people are upset by who wins RuPaul's Drag Race. So for instance, there were people, it's died, every season is like this, but there are people who were really upset that Sasha won last year. Okay. Oh, yeah. So angry. And oh, how dare they do this on the lip sync? They changed the rules. Or you see these arguments online about this person had this many points and this person had been it. By the way, the show's never talked about points. Or anything, you know? Literally ever. Ever. And, like, Shangela's going to win All-Stars 3, and, like, she doesn't have half the amount of hashtags that Trixie does, but... RuPaul's Drag Race, this is RuPaul's universe, and we simply just live in it. Yeah. And what she wa- who she wants to be the winner, even if it, they didn't win it nearly, who cares? She doesn't give a shit, you know? And partially, and I, I wouldn't... Look, I don't mind if this is overturned, but partially because she knows you got nowhere else to go. You're going to come back next season. I don't care oh, what you think it is. Yeah. 
And so, <laughs> but what I'm saying is to this is in terms of the show, how much ownership do we have of this show? You know, so what I'm saying is if RuPaul doesn't want bio queens or trans people on the show, she's not going to have RuPaul. I mean, she probably will. I wouldn't be surprised if he well, gets involved. I but. think this will be the interesting thing. And I think this is something that a lot of people have talked about. Will be, now that it's moved over to VH1, how much pull does RuPaul actually have as the platform of Drag Race gets bigger? Because... Like, the comments she made at Logo, like, I'm still paying the light bill at that motherfucker. Like, she was. You know what I mean? Like, Logo had, like, partial reruns of Roseanne and RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? And, like, now we're on page one, and now there's a larger audience, and now there's a larger audience who's conscious of a lot more things, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I say that, like, very hopefully. You know what I mean? But so, like, we got an apology, which is, like, maybe the first apology we've gotten in Drag Race history. After a sl- after many controversial comments, right? And so I think, like, that in and of itself speaks to potentially a larger shift of having less direct demanding control over the direction of the show and what happens on the show. And so it may give a more vocal audience an opportunity to actually manifest changes they're looking to see on the show. But going back to my point about Reddit... Mm-hmm. Where it's a, you know, a fraction of one percent actually knows what's going to happen on Thursday. How much of this is just a very and I don't know. I have no data on this. How much of this is just a very vocal minority? Is there any data on how gay men as a whole feel about this or gay people? Um, I mean, I think we could talk to the right people and, like, try and get, like, a very comprehensive Twitter poll, like, going. You know what I mean? Like, that may be the only option. I'm not sure. But, I mean, I think, again, my, like, little tiny article and, like, my, like, contribution to this conversation aside, like, I think it is at least emblematic of the fact that there are more people, I think, at least than I expected to be interested in having this conversation. And there are more... I never expected Sasha Valore to share it. I never expected Shea Coulee or Peppermint to share it. Coco Montrese, like, emailed me after the article was published to talk about it. I think, like, there is a desire from a lot of people to engage in some of these conversations and, like, who want to see change. And, like, I don't know what the end result of that's going to be. Mm-hmm. But I think at least in my, like, small, unscientific assessment just based off the response to this one article like there are people who are interested in the conversation and there are successful queens from the show who are interested in having a conversation and if there is an opportunity to see something happen i think at least there are indicators that there's a desire to see something happen i think we're going to end it on that because that's like a perfect little button there garrett don't you think a perfect Thank you button. so much. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a perfect button because I've I said it, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Uh, stick around. You and I will talk afterwards, but let me end this uh, show right now. Um, is there a song you want to end it on? You know, why don't we end it on the... We, we were originally going to start the show, the show with this song. Uh, it did not pan out, everybody. Because uh, I kept calling him Gary. <laughs> well, Garrett... 
Yeah. Schlichting. Thank you so That's much me. for being here today. I love having you. you on here 1,000%. Oh, my God. 1,000% is my absolute pleasure. I had so much fun. I know. You need to make that your, like, tagline on Twitter. See, look. I, yeah, you, I, you, like, I think the fans are going to want to say, well, you have to come back on the show. Oh, my God. I will literally be back anytime you ask me. Okay. Thanks. Everybody, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.